Wouldn't it be nice if someone could hold your hand and guide you through all of life's challenges? I am overwhelmed with happiness every time I see that somebody has received a transplant because it's truly a gift. That's transplant coordinator Amanda Michaud. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Senior Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this edition of The Journey Continues. This episode is sponsored by Nanny, Nephrology Associates of Northern Illinois and Indiana. Amanda, what's a transplant coordinator? A typical transplant coordinator in the transplant world is a nurse that assists patients through the transplant process within a transplant center. So they oversee the patient's transplant evaluation from referral until waitlist until transplant, and they help assist with the ordering of the, the patient's required testing and the follow-up, and they assist patients through the process that is what the role of a transplant coordinator is. So is it common for nephrology practices to have a transplant coordinator on staff? No, it is not a common practice. To my understanding, Nanny was the first nephrology practice that had the role of a transplant coordinator being offered for their patients. This role um, as a transplant coordinator is a non-clinical role. So in this role, the position is not a nurse. And it's a little bit of a different process um, being in the nephrology side. The transplant coordinator assists the patient through the process of being referred to transplant centers. So the process before when patients were referred to transplant centers, patients were just typically given a list of local transplant centers and informed to follow up with these transplant centers. Now patients are referred to a transplant coordinator at NANI and then a transplant coordinator follows up with them and helps them select a transplant center that's best suited for their needs, that is a better fit for them, and also is accepted with their insurance. So why do you think Nanny created this position? Was the old way of doing things where you just handed them a list, was that working? What made them create this position? To my understanding, the role was created because of the value-based care program with the incentive for transplant being offered to Medicare patients. They wanted to help engage the Medicare patient population and help assist them through the transplant process. But as soon as my position started, Nanny realized that this isn't a service that should be offered to just their value-based care patients. This is a service that should be offered to all of their patients. As Nanny is the largest nephrology practice in the U.S., they realize it's it's a need really for, for all patients. So I started assisting all of our patients within the practice. What was it like before when patients would be handed a list of those transplant centers? Were they typically added very quickly? What did that look like before your role was created? Well, for some patients that were maybe knowledgeable of the process, 
they were going through the process the appropriate way. For some patients that were, you know, familiar, they had family or friends that were are able to navigate them through the process, they were able to get the appropriate appointments. In my previous background, I had previously worked in a transplant center, once again in a non-clinical role. I help assist patients with that process. I received several phone calls where patients would call and say, I'm calling to be placed on the transplant list. Mm -hmm. And they had no idea how to go through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of patients assume that all they have to do is make a phone call Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be placed on the list. Um, Patients didn't understand the actual process of what a transplant evaluation was. They didn't understand that they had to um, complete uh, required workup. They didn't understand that their case then had to be presented to a board and they would have to be approved. They didn't know that there was a wait time mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for transplants and that there would be yearly follow-ups. So some patients would get lost through the process. Some mm-hmm. patients would end up being referred to different services. Some patients would just kind of fall through the cracks of the system. So when do you typically start meeting with nanny patients to to start the discussion about transplant? Patients are eligible to be placed on the UNOS waitlist when their GFR is 20 or below. We, you know, encourage our physicians to refer at that point when their GFR is is somewhere within that range of the very low 20s and they feel that transplant could be an, um, an option for the patients. We encourage now the preemptive transplant, um, you know, where patients hopefully can receive a transplant um, prior to being on dialysis, you know, encouraging patients, giving them information about the living donor process, basically just trying to get patients engaged before dialysis and letting them know what their options are. So when you're, you start working with a patient, how do you help them choose or how do they choose which transplant center or centers they want to be listed in? Of course, they always take into consideration their physician's recommendation. That's usually number one. The second is, you know, if they've had a family or friend go through the process, that's their, their second choice. Transplant centers by name um, or hospitals by reputation, location, <laughs> location is a is a big one as well. Also, insurance that is another big factor. That is actually the main factor um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that ultimately will. Um, determine what transplant center a patient can really go to. That's one of the first things that I will look at when I have a patient referred is what is the patient's insurance? What are the accepted centers within the patient's area? And then we go from there. So what all is involved in a transplant review? What kind of tests do patients need before they can be listed? You mentioned that earlier. The typical tests that are usually required for a transplant evaluation for a patient to complete are chest x-ray, EKG, lab work, abdominal imaging, ultrasounds of your kidney, ultrasounds of your abdomen, a cardiac evaluation, um, echocardiogram, and a um, cardiac stress test, and then any additional follow-up or recommendations by other specialists that the nephrology 
physicians feel that are required. So if the patient is going through an evaluation and they feel that there's an area of concern, they will refer the patient out to the required specialist to to have the appropriate follow-up. And then the patient has to be cleared from that aspect. Okay. So kind of just making sure you're real, you're healthy enough to withstand the surgery? As I explain to patients, you're going through a complete head-to-toe uh, um, evaluation checkup. Patients over the age of 40, females, have to have their cancer screenings completed, which is for females, a pap smear, mammogram, and colonoscopy. Males have to have their cancer screenings completed as well, so a PSA, prostate exam, and a colonoscopy as well. Some transplant centers require patients to have a dental clearance completed. Some states actually have it as a requirement as well. I assist patients in Illinois and Indiana. Indiana, it is a requirement. How can patients prepare to be listed? Is there like a checklist? All you, all of those tests you just rattled off, I know you said some of them are, it depends on the state or it depends on the patient's own medical history. Is there a, a checklist you give them that says like, here's what you need to take care of? So all of those tests will be reviewed and ordered by their transplant team. When a patient goes in for the evaluation, their medical history is reviewed and then the appropriate tests are ordered for the patients. The only tests that we do encourage patients to get on their own are their cancer screenings because those are considered, you know, general maintenance and those they would have to ask their PCPs to request for them. So what are the requirements for transplant? Is there an age cap, a weight cap? I know I've heard from people who say like, oh, I'm too old to get a transplant. They're maybe 60 years old. So are there requirements like that that they need to look out for? Every transplant center has their own criteria. Um, There are transplant centers that for patients over the age of 70, they do encourage them or require them to have a living donor. Being that patients over the age of 70, the wait time for a deceased donor is five to seven years. So as a patient gets older, there's a more increased risk of illness, your health deteriorating. So they believe that the patient's best option would be living donor, especially if the patient's not on dialysis, they don't have any type of like accrued wait time. So they're coming in, I guess, fresh patients or with no wait time accrued at all. There are other transplant centers that have specific criteria for patients between the ages of 75 and 80 that they will evaluate them and see them. I have seen patients transplanted at 79 and 80. It really depends on the patient's overall picture of health. There is an extensive evaluation that goes into this process. They look at everything in regards to the patient's health, frailty, cardiac history, any signs of dementia, patient support system, their financial status. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but. uh, (laughs) um, Well, they want to make sure you're able to like pay for your medications and and take care of yourself post-transplant, I'm sure. Yes. They want to make sure that it is not a financial burden on a patient, especially patients of that age are typically on a fixed income. So they will look into all of that. So every transplant center has different criteria. Like I said, there is there are patients that have been transplanted at 79, transplant patients have been transplanted at 80, 
So is that kind of what you help your patients figure out? Does what transplant center works for their age, maybe their BMI, all of that kind of stuff? Are those things you're looking at? Yes, those are all things that I, I do look at. Um, you know, physicians will will send me a message with things just like that. You know, patient is of advanced age, has a higher BMI, would like for them to go to this center, but I know that they're a little bit more specific with their criteria. Can you please help them? So those are the things that I will look into and we try to find a center that is best suited for their needs. So what's the typical length of time between when you first start working with a patient to the time when they're officially listed? Like how long do all of those screenings and tests usually take to get checked off the list? Oh, I wish I had that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like another big, it depends. (laughs) It depends. Um, You know, how quickly a patient is engaged in the process, how quickly a patient wants to complete the workup, what their availability is, also what type of availability the hospital system has as far as scheduling um, for these procedures or the specialists. Transplant centers, they do look at these times that you're talking about. There's different stages of transplant. There's, you know, referral. That's when a patient's been referred. Evaluation, when a patient's um, initial appointment has occurred and their evaluation and the ordering of testing has began. Then there is waitlisted when the patient has been made active or inactive, basically placed on the waitlist. And then there's transplant. There are metrics that are in place where, you know, transplant centers like to be within a certain amount of time in between each of those stages. You know, it could take anywhere between 90 days for a patient to go from evaluation to waitlisted, but I've seen it six months. Every transplant's a big win for everyone. Why do you think it's important to have a transplant coordinator guiding someone through the process? The process is long. Patients get disengaged. They lose hope. I've encountered many patients that feel like they don't have anybody that's on their side. And after speaking to patients, they feel a little bit more relieved that they can go to somebody that's not with the transplant center and that can listen to them and help them better address their concerns or express their concerns if there are any and help give them other options if they feel that something isn't right in their mind. What other resources do you help your patients find aside from helping them With the selection process of their transplant and getting through all the testing, what else do you help them find? The biggest request that we had from all of our transplant centers, or a majority of them, was encouraging patients and engaging patients with trying to have their colonoscopies completed um, prior to transplant evaluation because there was such a delay with trying to get colonoscopy scheduled. It was taking about six months, eight months to get a colonoscopy, speaking to our physicians, asking them to refer them out to different GI specialists and finding those specialists that had the availability and, you know, referring our patients out to those practices. 
patients who are from, you know, certain areas that need, um, like the dental clearance being a big one, what type of discounted services programs are available to them or looking for those resources or those um, locations where they can have a screening completed at a discounted rate. That's great. It sounds like you're trying to like eliminate as many barriers yes, as possible yes. to to get them listed. Yes. And even not and not just for the patients, but for the transplant centers as well. You know, request for, you know, we've tried to reach out to this patient five, six times, there's no response. Is there a way that you can get a hold of the patient? We will try to, fo- we follow up with the patient. If we can't get a hold of the patient, we try the dialysis unit, um, you know, speak to the nurse, the social worker, anybody <laughs> at the mm-hmm. unit um, to try to get the best, you know, the contact number for the patients, following up with the patient, encourage them to follow up with the transplant centers. We're like a an advocate for the patient, an additional resource for the transplant center, I guess, sometimes. How has communication changed between care providers since you started in this role? From what I can see, the feedback that I've received, I feel that it has opened up the lines of communication. Now with the medical record systems, you know, today, everything with, if you have the, the EMRs that communicate with each other, like um, Epic or Care Everywhere, now you're able to see those records. But I, I feel that the communication is there now. As one of our physicians had said, Yes, Nanny is a large institution and there's, um, you know, over 100 plus providers. You don't have to worry about trying to reach out to the one provider and figure out what location they're at. Just reach out to our transplant coordinators (laughs) and Mm -hmm. (laughs) they will will reach out to our physicians and our staffs um, regarding our patients. So it sounds like you're really working as a team with the transplant center, with the nephrology practice, with the dialysis clinics. You're kind of the the glue between keeping that communication flowing so that the patient's not lost through the cracks, like you said earlier. Yes. You know, the dialysis units, it's a, it is a different relationship. But, you know, we have put our information out there. There are some units that have welcomed our assistance. They're aware of what our assistance is. They're aware of what our role is at Nanny. There are other units that are still, wow, <laughs> that Nanny has that. <laughs> <laughs> or we've never heard of this role. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, because it is new, we try to do what we can do for, for the patients. I mean, it is, all, it, it is for the good of the patient. What led you to work in kidney care? For me, it's a little personal. I've worked in healthcare in non-clinical roles for about 20 years now. And I have, for kidney care, it was always, um, there was always an interest because I've, I've seen family struggle with kidney health. It has always been um, an issue or in, um, an area where as young adults or a teenager I was exposed to. I have family members that have been um, transplant recipients, so I have seen their struggle and I'm familiar with their struggle. That probably is where my uh, my interest of transplant came um, into play. Yeah, it's, it's personal. That's... Mm-hmm, it is. 
I guess also with my own personal um, history, I've myself, I have um, autoimmune disorders. So I have lupus and RA. So I can relate to some patients in that aspect. And I know what the outcomes can be for people with those conditions. That's probably comforting to them to have someone who understands it personally and from a family aspect on their side and kind of guiding them through. You're like a a mentor slash big sister who can like lead them by the hand and and show them the way. What do you like best about your role? Oh, there's so much. (laughs) I love what I do. I enjoy just being able to help patients start the process. And I am overwhelmed with happiness every time I see that somebody has received a transplant because it's truly a gift. Um, And if I can make that process easier, just one little thing easier for someone going through this of just, you know, helping them with the referral, getting them started, getting them a a link for a support service, a support group, or um, just trying to get them um, some information of a different center. I am happy to do that. Anything that I can do to just help them get them through this journey or this process to get them to their ultimate goal, which is transplanted. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on The Journey Continues. We so appreciate you sharing your insight and this exciting new role that Nanny's created. I know this has been helpful to many patients and I'm sure many others to come. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Learn more about kidney transplants, living donations, and all things kidney health by visiting our website at nkfi.org. Thank you to Nephrology Associates of Northern Illinois and Indiana for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at nephdocs.com. That's N-E-P-H-D-O-C-S dot com. Prevention is a key part of our mission at NKFI. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health or nutrition tip. Here's today's health tip about managing high blood pressure. High blood pressure or hypertension is one of the leading causes of chronic kidney disease. Blood pressure is the force of blood pushing against the walls of your blood vessels as your heart pumps blood around your body. Most people with high blood pressure do not have any symptoms. For this reason, it's often called a silent killer. The only way to find out if you have high blood pressure is to have it measured. Blood pressure is a measure between two numbers. The top number, called systolic pressure, is the pressure when your heart is beating. The bottom number, called diastolic pressure, is the pressure when your heart is resting between beats. A blood pressure of 120-80 is read as 120 over 80. Normal blood pressure in adults aged 18 or older is less than 120 over 80. In general, for adults 18 and older, blood pressure that stays at 140 over 90 or above is considered high. Making healthy lifestyle choices is an important part of treatment. It can help bring high blood pressure under control. This may include losing extra weight, eating meals with less fat and salt, limiting alcohol to no more than one to two drinks a day, and starting a regular exercise program approved by your healthcare provider. If you're a smoker, your healthcare provider will advise you to stop. Smoking increases your risk of complications such as heart attacks and strokes. Medicines may also be needed to get your blood pressure under control. 
There are many effective medicines for high blood pressure. Sometimes a combination of different medications may be needed. With today's health tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois.